Welcome to Backlog Books. In this podcast, I will be recapping and discussing what I've been reading lately. My name is Kara. Thank you for joining me, and please be prepared for spoilers. I don't really have any announcements at the top of the podcast. I hope you all had an excellent Thanksgiving, wherever you are. Next episode will be my last episode of the year, and then after that, I'm going to take a little break. But you'll hear more about that in the next episode. And I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast. I've been talking about it on the Facebook page. But I have started writing and posting short reviews of the rest of the books I read that don't make it onto the podcast. Because I do read like 60 books a year or something. In my ideal world, I would have like a normal blog to post those on instead of putting them on the podcast website because it's not really built for that. But I tried WordPress once and I had to give up after two hours of staring at a blank screen. So yeah, uh, that's a work in progress, but it does exist and you can find it at backlogbooks.com. Anyway, (laughs) let's get started. This time we are talking about The Stars, My Destination by Alfred Bester. Here is the summary. Education, none. Skills, none. Merits, none. Recommendations, none. So reads Gully Foyle's Merchant Marine Card. But Gully has managed to survive for 170 days in the airless purgatory of deep space and to escape to Terra with a murderous grudge and a secret that could change the course of history. This book was published in 1956. It was originally published under the title Tiger Tiger, in reference to the William Blake poem. Our author, Alfred Bester, was born in 1913 in New York, He started out writing science fiction short stories and would later move to comics. He wrote for Superman and Green Lantern, among others, then radio plays, television scripts, and back to science fiction novels. He had a variety of jobs. It seems like it was uncommon at the time to make a living solely as a writer. He won the inaugural Hugo Award in 1953 for his novel The Demolished Man, but later works did not receive much commercial success. He was, however, made a Grand Master of the Science Fiction Writers of America shortly before his death in 1987. Content warnings in this book for racism and mention of rape, which happens off-page. This is a classic science fiction book, which I picked up at random, off of my brother's shelf. I had very little idea what I was getting into with it. However, I found it very easy to read and very interesting. While Neuromancer and Blade Runner really solidified cyberpunk as a genre, you can see some similar ideas emerging here with the body modifications, using technology, there are androids, society being awful for everyone except the rich, etc., As much as I enjoyed it, there are, of course, questionable moments. It's from the 1950s. I would be stunned if there was nothing objectionable. 
I will discuss one particular plot point later on. Overall, it wasn't bad. I didn't reach the end of this book thinking I would never read another book by Bester, which is sort of how I felt at the end of Tarzan and some other books. Let's begin with our setting, which is the future, the 25th century. Humans have colonized the solar system, but we're not at Star Trek levels of community and collaboration. War is on the horizon, and everyone is looking for a way to gain the upper hand. Bester begins this book by telling us the history of teleportation. It's discovered by accident by a scientist and becomes known as jaunting. There's no equipment required, only the power of your mind. Range is limited. The farthest jaunts are around a thousand miles. Most people only have a range of 100 to 500 miles. And an important aspect of jaunting is that you can't jaunt through space. They still need spaceships. Visualization of your current location and desired destination are key parts of jaunting. Most people who try to jaunt through space die. And jaunting puts a unique strain on the world and on humanity as a whole. Society basically collapses once it's discovered. We've sort of built everything in our world with the assumption that walls will keep you out and people cannot simply teleport wherever they want. Crime abounds. How do you imprison someone who can simply choose to be somewhere else? Bester took the time to explore the effects of jaunting, which I liked. It showed he put actual serious thought into the world he was building, which can be lacking in some books. Our main character is Gully Foyle. He has drifted through life indistinguishable from any background character. He begins the book as a creature of pure impulse. He does things simply because he can, because they make him feel powerful. This book tracks his journey to becoming a rational person with a conscience, but it begins with a desire for revenge. Foyle is marooned on the wreck of the spaceship Nomad for months, barely surviving by salvaging from the remains of the ship. And then another ship comes by, close enough to rescue him, the Vorga. Instead of stopping, it carries on, ignoring his desperate calls for help. Foyle is galvanized into action by this betrayal, suddenly and completely obsessed with finding and destroying the ship that left him to die. He has something driving him now, beyond simply doing whatever he wants. Though he has no previous experience or training, he repairs the Nomad enough to get it moving, which is a spectacular feat of engineering from one guy in a mostly destroyed spaceship. He does immediately crash it into an asteroid populated by a primitive cult of scientists. Just go with it. It's not that important. We're just going to keep going. This cult immediately takes him in and tattoos his face. And here's where we get into one of the biggest sticking points for me. This tattoo is called out as horrifying and ugly and also specifically called a Maori tattoo, 
And I don't think it's great to call out a specific, extremely specialized, closed cultural practice as horrifying and refer to it as disfiguring the main character's face. And I know tattooing done wrong can be really bad. And if this had simply been, Cult of Scientists puts a horrible tattoo of a tiger on this guy's face without his consent, I would have been fine with it. But you had to go and call it a Maori tattoo, which is a very specific thing. The tattoo is pretty important to the story, um, and I'll talk more about it later, but because I like to encourage learning in such situations, I'm including a link to information about the history of tattooing in Aotearoa. Now, meanwhile, on Earth, one of the world's richest men is looking for the wreck of the nomad, and by extension foil. Foil sort of accidentally hid the nomad by crashing it into an asteroid populated by science cultists. It turns out that on the ship there was $20 million, and more importantly to the very rich people, Pyre. Or Pyre-E? It's a book, I don't know how to pronounce it, I'm calling it Pyre. It's a new kind of bomb. Remember that bit earlier about the solar system nearing war and everybody looking for any way to gain the upper hand? Yeah, everyone is looking for Pyre and, by extension, for Foil. Unaware of this new interest in him, Foyle escapes from the scientist cultists by stealing a different ship and continues his single-minded hunt for the Vorga. And to be clear, he is specifically after the ship Vorga. He hasn't thought further, hasn't wondered about who manned the ship and who gave the order. The bigger concerns of the world don't matter to him at this stage, he is solely focused on revenge. He makes it to the Vorga's shipyard and nearly succeeds in blowing up the empty ship, but he is arrested and imprisoned. I mentioned earlier that basically everyone can teleport, so how do you imprison people who can just choose to be somewhere else? Their solution is a prison kept in absolute darkness. Because a key part of jaunting is visualizing where you are. If you can't see where you are, you can't leave. While in prison, through random chance, Foyle meets Gisbella, a fellow criminal, and she teaches him how to think, how to slow down and consider what he does before he does it. She's the one who basically calls him a big idiot for trying to blow up the ship and not even thinking about who was manning it or who gave the order. Foyle's desire for revenge started him on this path, but it's not until Gisbella teaches him that he begins to become something better. And together they plan an escape. And if you're picking up the Count of Monte Cristo vibes, you're not the only one. Actually, a lot of this book follows the arc of betrayed man seeks revenge to the detriment of all else in his life. I haven't actually read The Count of Monte Cristo, but maybe I'll pick it up once I have time for a nearly 1,000-page book that's not The Wheel of Time. 
Listen, if anyone wants to pay me to make reading my full-time job, please contact me immediately. Now, the rich men on Earth who have located Foyle but have failed to get him to tell them where his crashed ship is keep hounding Foyle for the information. They need the Nomad. They need the pyre, the bomb that's hidden on it. While interrogating Foyle, they let slip about that $20 million, and Foyle's obsession focuses in on it, carries him forward. How much easier revenge could be if he had $20 million at his disposal? He and Gisbella escape from prison and retrieve the safe from the Nomad, the safe that contains both the $20 million and the pyre. Foyle doesn't know what the pyre is or what it does, just that some very powerful people want it. But in the process of retrieving the safe, he has to choose between getting away with the safe and continuing his revenge or saving Gisbella's life. She's floating in space, unmoored, unable to get back to the ship, and, of course, he chooses his revenge over her life. He abandons her to float in space, which, if you recall at the beginning of this book, was the same thing that motivated him to hunt down the Vorga. So, don't worry, we'll be seeing Gisbella again. It takes Foyle a long time to figure out his revenge, to figure out who he should be mad at, even. And it's through this search, first for the Vorga, then for the crew, and finally the person who gave the order, that Foyle learns about the world, about other people, and learns to sympathize with them, and to consider more than just his own very narrow focus and desire— And over the course of this book, he does grow into a more rational person, one who has like a sense of responsibility for the people around him and for the world that he lives in. And in the end, Foyle has in his hands the power to destroy all life on Earth or to teach humanity to follow the same path he did, how to grow up and accept responsibility for his actions and find a way to live in and with society. And it seems like a big thing to ask of humanity, to give it the ability to destroy itself and then tell it not to use that ability. But Foyle is so utterly changed by the end that he believes it can be done. He's shown them the way. They just have to follow. Overall, like I said at the beginning, I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, there sure were some women in this. Was nearly every one of them at one point in love with the main character? Absolutely. But they were important to the story. Without Gisbella there to teach Foyle, he would have been trapped in the cycle of revenge without growing beyond it. There were even some women as antagonists. And the tattoo... Foyle dealing with the tattoo is a major thread in the story and is tied into him learning control. He gets the tattoo removed, but it reappears when he loses his temper. So he has to learn to stay calm or else his face transforms into this mask of a tiger. 
It just sucks that Bester was like, what's a horrifying tattoo that will strike fear into all readers? I know, this extremely important closed cultural practice that has been nearly eradicated thanks to colonization. (sighs) Well, it was an interesting story and journey for Foyle. I thought the teleportation stuff was cool, and there are even telepaths in the story. It was also just easy to read. Some older books are like wading through cold molasses, but this one flowed very well. As always, read whatever sparks joy for you. The negatives of this may negate the rest of it for you, and that's okay. Part of my purpose in doing this podcast is to help you make informed decisions about what you want to read. And if you want more media like this, you can try Neuromancer by William Gibson or Strata by Terry Pratchett. Speaking of Terry Pratchett, join me next time to hear about The Amazing Maurice and His Educated Rodents by Sir Terry Pratchett. As always, you can contact me at backlogbookspod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support it, the best way to do that right now is to rate and review it, or just share it with a friend. You can find the pod on Facebook at Backlog Books Podcast or at backlogbooks.com. The music is by Joseph McDade. You can hear more of his work at josephmcdade.com. Thank you for spending this time with me. I can't believe we're almost done with 2022. I hope to talk with you again soon.